Right, morning folks. So I'm Chris, if uh, you don't know, know me, most of you do. Uh, we're in a series um, using, well, it's kind of uh, resources set out by Christian Aid, thinking about action on poverty. Um, and I'm not sure I'm going to entirely kind of follow exactly what they had in mind for this week, but, uh, but anyway. Uh, so thinking about poverty and place and then about our place and, uh, and where we are and how we can affect it or change it. First bit, think about how location affects us. Um, there we are. Ruddington, best kept village, 1965. If you, uh, if you think about um, you know, where you live and, and how it affects your life, then uh, it obviously makes you know, a huge difference. So you know, the actual place that you live, the building you live in, uh, gives you shelter from, from the elements and for most of us, access to, to clean water and sanitation. Um, access to enough food to eat, uh, our family around us where we have them, often as part of a, a community, and in most of our cases that's a community whose first language is also our first language. And then looking a little bit broader, uh, in a situation where we have access to healthcare and to various kinds of state support and welfare, access to education, you know, kind of going into the, well, the schools in the village and, and work going on there. Access to employment, there are places around for those of us of working age, and a whole range of things that help to make uh, our life safer, you know, from uh, policing, for example, through to um, defence and security. And so, if you think about the world, then some of the things that make a real difference to you know, what your experience of everyday life is, um, well, you know, one thing depends quite a lot on what country you're in. So I'm here, Sarah and Susie and I, when we went to Uganda, what's now about 10 years ago, um, visiting one of the maternity hospitals that Tezo Development Trust supports. And So if you're, you know, depending on which country you're in, there are various, you know, lots of things come down to governments. So some of them adapt down to government policy. Governments choose which languages are official and that you can transact business with them in. Governments institute policies around things like gender equality or not, and about political participation and what form that has. And um, at least in some cases, governments are also choosing to go to war or not go to war. There are other things which are at least partly government dependent, but then also depend on other aspects of the, the place where you're living in terms of culture. So governments may have policies around um, the integrity of officials or um, no prejudice against particular groups, but in practice, you know, in particular places, particular countries, um, circumstances may mean that that doesn't really happen on the ground. Other things, of course, depend on the resources. So um, most countries in the world have uh, a policy of providing, of the state providing at least primary education. Um, but in practice, whether they can afford to pay teachers or provide the resources for the schools um, is another matter. And the same for, for health care. You know, even where a country has a policy of universal 
healthcare, uh, it may not be able to, to deliver it. Or religious freedom. A number of countries, in some countries in the world, choose not to have religious freedom. You know, it's a state policy to support one specific religion. Um, others have a, an official policy of, of freedom of faith, but in practice, for example, are unable to police it. Think of much of sub-Saharan Africa, where there's a, a quite a strong sort of Islamist um, presence. Or same for social care and welfare. You know, there may be all sorts of provisions that the country would like to place, or, or even just you know, the very everyday things of, of removing waste and rubbish. Um, so many, so much depends. If you're a country where most people have very limited income, then that's not a lot to tax, and that means not a lot of money into the government to provide those kind of services. Sorry, I'll just turn myself down fractionally. So, uh, yes, and safety obviously is another major area where, uh, you know, the government may have one position, but for example, there may be a civil war, you know, there may be uh, an entire constituency of the country who are actively opposing the country, or it may be in a situation um, like in some parts of um, Central America where uh, it's actually, for example, organised crime or, or gangs who um, provide a context that the government is unable to adequately deal with. Even if your country has certain policies and provisions, then obviously your relationship to that country also makes a big difference to your experience of life. And, um, you know, his, um, someone whose uh, refugee roots have been working with. So if you're... Um, if your status is a citizen, then generally speaking, you have access to all of the, the services and, and the provisions of that country. But if you're not, um, even if you're just a visitor, but even more so perhaps if you're a refugee or um, you've been refused asylum, or even if you're an illegal immigrant, then obviously that can significantly changes uh, your experience of being in that place. Whether you can access employment, as you know, one of the major challenges that um, asylum seekers face and, and then obviously if they're refused asylum is a lack of access to paid employment in the UK. And similarly, their access to government um, services and support will vary significantly depending on their status and political participation. We can't vote if you're not um, a citizen. And as we heard a bit uh, last time in terms of um, kind of Roma in Slovakia, there may also be, you know, depending on your ethnicity within a particular context, there may be a lot of kind of prejudice going on there. And if you are in, you know, if you're a refugee, for example, then often in order to get there, you may have left family, certainly left community. So they're kind of national things. If you get down to areas smaller than nations, then obviously there are major differences you know, between different parts of the same country. Uh, that's true in the UK, true even more so in some other countries. So this is, um, as a family, we went to South Africa with Tear Fund a few years ago and, uh, and stayed in a township in South Africa. And life in a township is really very different to life in one of the, for example, white majority suburbs. You know, so it's really going to be a very local matter whether you can actually access enough food or you know, whether you can access clean water or sanitation 
or whether there's employment nearby, um, how safe it is where you are. You know, so we were kind of okay in groups in the day, but we should never, as white people, have gone out in the evening or alone in this particular place. Um, many countries in the world, especially um, uh, in Africa, to some extent in Asia, um, historically were not organized as they are now organized. You know, there were many different people groups and uh, they've been kind of shoved together sometimes and, and that can create a whole bunch of, of tensions within those states. And you know, again, those issues like religious freedom may also vary massively from area to area or the language. Um, you know, so you know, fairly minor example, but uh, you know, in Wales, obviously there's the provision for speaking Welsh, providing materials in Welsh. Um, but in some of these countries, there may be, you know, even on the official language scale, perhaps 20 national languages and um, dozens and dozens more actually being used every day. And those are the things about, you know, keeping uh, amenities. If you're in a place, you know, particular areas in countries are particularly prone to natural hazards. I guess flooding is something that we're sort of aware of uh, at the moment, but there are many countries in the world where that's a much more profound problem than it is for us. Um, you know, think of, uh, say, much of Bangladesh, kind of uh, built around uh, river delta areas. Um, access to safe transport, affordable energy, you know, all things which are going to depend very much on exactly where you are. And then right down to what your accommodation looks like, you know, whether you are actually sheltered and you have that access to um, water, sanitation, waste removal, and how safe you are just in terms of, um, you know, kind of casual uh, theft or violence and, and what prejudice you might be exposed to. And also, you know, if you don't, you know, have no fixed address, then that can make accessing, accessing services, interacting with the state very difficult as well. So all that was kind of talking about, you know, the normal state of things and how much it can vary. Um, but, you know, wherever you live, there are some things that just make life incredibly worse. And, uh, you know, primarily major conflict, war and, and natural disaster. And, you know, it's kind of, it's difficult to avoid the... You know, you see what's happening in Gaza. You see the, the devastation that's wrought on civilian infrastructure. And it's all the same in, uh, in war in Iraq. Um, it's a lot easier to destroy things than it is to make things. And, uh, you know, both within the conflict situation, you know, destruction of utilities, clean water, sanitation, uh, shelter. You can see how much of, you know, a war area can be destroyed. Um, even if you're less directly affected by the military conflict, you know, it breeds um, conflict of its own and, and crime. And the facilities that are normally in place to deal with, for example, uh, natural hazards uh, are often also destroyed, as well as, you know, where, where's your job going to come from, your warmth, access to those kind of essentials, you know, and so on. So an enormous disruption that happens in that and as a result then also maybe you have to leave 
that place if you can. Uh, sometimes you can't, but um, you know that might then that leaves you with a whole different set of problems. One other area that also kind of varies quite a lot with where you are um, is is people's openness to God. And um, some of us were chatting to Graham, who talked last week afterwards, uh, and uh, and he was relaying. Um, something which a YWAM evangelist had said to him, which was, this was a few years ago, um, you know, broadly speaking, in Argentina, if you worked with two people for a year, probably one of them would come to faith, you know, because there's quite a kind of a revival thing going on. On the other hand, if you were in Belgium, you'd probably have to work with 200 people for a year for one of them to come to faith. And, uh, and we're a little bit more that way. So in the UK, they reckon it's kind of about 50 people if you work you know, work with them for a year, maybe one would come to faith. So, you know, there are, you know, it's a, another sort of interesting way in which places differ. So, so much of, you know, our, our sort of everyday experience of life, when you really think about it, does, is kind of an accident of where we live almost. Uh, we have very little control over these things, but we're so dependent on, on all of those things around us and um, you know all coming together uh, to, to give us our experience of life as it is today so what I'd like us to do I'll kind of pause in terms of talking um, for a few minutes and then we'll, we'll kind of pray about some of those um, yeah some of those challenges that so many people in, in the world are, are living with at the moment so a little bit of a kind of switch around to some extent. So there's a bunch of things we can't choose. You know, what country we're born in, the support it provides, and where we're born and how safe it is and who our parents are and what they have. Um, sometimes we get to, to choose where we live. I guess we don't, most of us don't move very much. I don't like moving, um, which is why we're still here after nearly 30 years. But, uh, whenever we do move, then you know, some of us have some degree of choice. Uh, Maybe it's country or region, or at least kind of exactly where we live. Some of us may have no choice, but we'd be forced to move. But we certainly do have choices about what we do where we are, and about who we interact with and how we interact with them, and whether there's anyone we, we exclude or avoid. So in a, I'm going I'm to do two bits. So think a little bit about how Jesus was located, and then think a little bit about uh, Ruddington. So... As, um, this is the message version of, uh, of what um, Julian just read. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So really at the heart of our, of our faith is, uh, uh, is God in Jesus moving into the neighborhood. Uh, becoming human and, uh, and you know, taking a, a physical place in, in the world that, that God had made and uh, so that uh, God could help us to understand him better and, uh, and build that better relationship with him. And so that, you know, the kind of the biggest transition uh, from, uh, from 
heaven or you know from the the place or the places or or from god's eternal existence into into human existence but then even within that of course jesus had quite a complicated you know sort of physical uh, journey uh, so his family came down from from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of the census, and that's where he was born. And then because of, um, they were worried for his life because of Herod threatening to kill them. So they became refugees in Egypt, maybe for a couple of years, and then they, they came back. And uh, they didn't go back to Bethlehem because they were still worried about um, Herod's son and whether he would still have an agenda. So they went back up to Nazareth, which is kind of the wild north of, uh, of Israel, really. Um, kind of, uh, you know, proper northerners they were up there, complete with strong accents, you know, you see in the, in the Gospels that, uh, you know, they can tell Peter's from Galilee, I don't know what sort of accent they had but, um, and and then of course spending you know, well, he you know, probably spent most of his time there for his first 30 years but then in his time of ministry becoming an itinerant teacher, moving around from place to place, having no fixed home, sometimes around Galilee, through Samaria, Jerusalem and back. And the, you know, people, although he was born in Bethlehem, people didn't, most people didn't realise that. And, uh, you know, they just kind of assumed he came from Galilee. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but that's one of, you know, the Pharisees and teachers of the law wheel out two standard reasons for why Jesus can't be the Messiah. He works on a Sunday... And he came from Galilee, not Bethlehem. Uh, you know, they're sort of go-to justifications. So, you know, even... So there's some kind of uh, interesting you know, kind of regional prejudice there as well in, in their resistance of accepting him. And we know that he also, you know, didn't just go to all kinds of places. Uh, sometimes, you know, he was in the wrong place. The wise men came to find the new Messiah. And, of course, they went to the palace and uh, the Messiah was not in the palace. The Messiah was, uh, was somewhere in the village. But he also was very well known for associating with, quote, the wrong kinds of people. Uh, it was Levi who I spoke about um, a couple of months ago. So a tax collector, and he'd go and live, uh, go and uh, eat with uh, these tax collectors and other people of ill repute. And, you know, on one of his journeys... From from the south to the north, so he passes through Samaria and he associates with uh, with the Samaritan woman. And you know, Jews and Samaritans shouldn't have talked, and he shouldn't have talked to this woman. So he's someone who was no respecter of um, of boundaries. And in a way, I suppose he gave quite a clear explanation of why that was, which Graham was talking about a bit last time. Um, you know, what was, what was Jesus' headline? Well, this is what it's about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. And uh, so Graham was talking about, you know, the Good Samaritan and who is our neighbour. So, you know, it's just a little, very brief reflection on how kind of Jesus located himself. But um, the last little bit, I thought it was perhaps worth trying to reflect on uh, kind of where we live and, and how we might affect that. Yeah, you recognise that? There's the frame breakers and the, the high street. Um, it's nice and sunny yesterday. So there are a bunch of situations where all we can do, you know, is kind of 
give financially and pray and, and sometimes take political action. You know, if it's more than an arm's length away, you know, we're not, we're not there. We're a little limited in what we can do. Um, but when it's a little bit closer to home, um, and, and sometimes even in those cases, I think sometimes there is also, you know, sort of a darker side to giving that we have to be a little bit careful of. You know, if we're not careful, then it's easy to think about giving a sense of, of need and giving can give rise to a sense of pride in the sense of superiority. We have and you do not have, you know, and kind of you can, um, we can help you out and, and it can build quite, a, quite an unhealthy dynamic. So I was just thinking a little bit about um, you know, the idea of soil and, and different kinds of soil uh, would be good for growing different kinds of things. So let's know our soil. This is just out uh, down to the south of the country park, looking across to almost to the power station. So Ruddington, go to Google Maps, it'll tell you Ruddington is like this. Uh, we've grown about 20% in population over the last 20 years, now just over 7,500 people. And you, know, you can go and look at the census if you like. Um, so 91% white. 97% English, the main language of all adults. 41% um, tick the box that says Christian. Clearly don't see that many of them in church week to week. Quite very small numbers of other faiths. Um, but the number of people who tick the Christian box going down quite rapidly. And um, you, know, you can also look at kind of the age breakdown. So we're kind of proportionally growing a bit in the, in the sort of 0 to 15s. Um, 15 to 65 is dropping a bit relatively and the, and the 65 plus is growing a bit so it's kind of a little bit of a, um, a shift like that. You can also look at things like um, uh, the index of, of deprivation that, that the government uses which is um, a, very, uh, a very, very approximate thing. Um, so um, in order to make graphs of things, you need to draw maps of things, you need to really, really simplify them. So um, what they say is, um, if you live somewhere that's shared or doesn't have central heating, that's quite bad. We'll call that a bad thing. Um, if you have uh, a health condition or disability that limits your ability to do everyday stuff, uh, we'll call that bad. Um, if you're unemployed and you could be working um, in principle we'll call that bad and if no one in your house has got as far as five GCSEs then we'll call that bad so they just have those four conditions um, so you can go and see uh, just under two-thirds of Ruddington don't tick any of have not have of the household in Ruddington don't tick any of those boxes and you can see a little bit of a breakdown so um, it's kind of, I guess, Lee's Court is probably the one where there's the most people, and they don't tell you which boxes they've ticked, but I suspect that that's kind of health-related limitations. Um, and a little bit up here where there's a bit more kind of social housing. Um, but if you, if you look at the whole of Nottingham, um, then, you know, we're sort of this sort of bluish colour. Here we are. Um, there are areas around... You know, that's kind of Heisen Green and, and St. Anne's. And, um, 
and heading out this way where it's, you know, there's, there's barely a third of, of households can say they don't have any of those issues. So, so thinking about where we live, like I say, maybe one of the things we need to think about is what, what would grow here, you know, what, what fits where we are. Um, incidentally, these are enormous rows of carrots on the way out to Bradmore at the moment. Absolutely. I did, I, I, you know, they put all that straw out on the fields at the beginning of the winter. I thought, what are they doing, drying it out? But anyway, it was the, the nice warm blanket for the carrot crops. So clearly carrots are growing well there. Um, or sometimes, or maybe even often, it's not so much about you know, what we could grow, but about what's already growing. There's a little orchid that's growing out by the tree stump in, uh, in Bunny Church. And so, yeah, so I think you know, those things about what we can do will be picked up more in some of the later ones. But um, you know, these were just some of the, the thoughts that ran through my head. Um, thinking about where we are, you know, as kind of a, a, a territory, as a soil in which things might grow, what relationships do we have? Um, where the revenue one is excluded, so I think that was, you know, one of the defining things about Jesus was that no one was excluded, and you know, everyone, uh, you know, could have a chance. Um, what's God already doing? Where we are? What assets do we have? You know, sometimes it's, it's tempting to just look for needs and problems. It's often much better to start from, from what we do have, even if it's just a little. And, and where can we work together? Uh, something interesting that Graham said last week, you can't always make this work, was um, um, quite a good way of choosing whether to do something would be whether you wanted to do it anyway. And... Uh, you know, because we, ha we have a challenge, I guess, many of us about feeling, you know, sometimes a bit tired and exhausted and you think you've got to do this thing to get it done. Um, but if it's something that's actually, you know, sort of enjoyable and life-giving for us, and there were a couple of examples that were on WhatsApp, then, you know, it's kind of, um, it doesn't become a burden, you know, to, to do something that's, that's kind of open and, and healthy and sharing and blessing. Yeah, so that was my, you know, I th sort of thoughts trying to just open up that idea of, of place and us and, you know, how those things fit together. <laughs>